Smodcast. I'm Kevin Smith. Okay, kids, this is a good one today, man. Um, when you're an artist, uh, you get fed like everyone else by other artists. Um, you know, if you like entertainment, if you like making movies, TV, singing, uh, fucking writing, you know, it. Oh my God, it's a big ass bee in here. Um, it it's very rare that you do it isolated. You know, I'm sure there are some geniuses out there that literally just like I fucking have no influences whatsoever. But, uh, you know, I came into my own or something. A lot of us do what we do because we see other people do what they do and their work feeds our work. Um, case in point, chasing Amy. There's a scene uh, with the Jay and Silent Bob at the diner. And, um, you know, they're uh, they're. Uh, having a conversation with our main character, Holden McNeil, who is going through some girl problems with his girlfriend, Alyssa Jones. And at one point, uh, Jay utters, uh, the immortal line. Uh, it's like cube says life ain't nothing but bitches and money. Um, that and, and in Jay and silent Bob strike back while the Jay and silent Bob are hiding out, uh, in the diner when uh, uh, Marshall Will and Holly comes looking for them. Um, right before they know that the cops are outside, Jay breaks into a, a bit of fuck the police by NWA. So the guy I get to talk to today informed what it is I do. I mean, it sounds weird to say, but he's in the DNA of my characters now. And borrowing from him and lending that credibility to my characters uh, has made them a strong uh, kind of fabric within the world of pop culture. Um, And it's given me a borrowed credibility where people are like, oh, he fucking, he knows the work of NWA and Ice Cube. And this is going back to, you know, of course, the 90s. Now everybody does. But um, I never got a chance to thank him, I will never forget sitting there writing that script and wanting Jay to say something cool. And I was like, I know exactly what that will be. It will be. It was because Jason was a hardcore, hardcore uh, NWA fan. So it wound up in my work, man. And today I get to talk to a guy who's responsible. Uh, for that um, we're going to talk about many things uh, but we're chiefly we're going to talk about weed because like me he entered into the weed space and like me he entered into the weed space with the same company with caviar gold caviar mike who makes our snoogans and snoochie boochies and berserker he came up with his own joint called good day and it's tasty and it fucking smokes fine and shit all caviar weed does Welcome to Smodcast. This is more honor than I feel my house could bear. The Great Ice Cube. How are you, sir? 
Yeah, yeah. What's up, Kevin? How you feeling, man? Oh, incredible. You know, <laughs> above ground, for heaven's sakes, and smoking. So that's good. It matters, shit, at the end of the day. Yes. Now, we were going to yeah. speak earlier, but uh, Cube was like, I'm going to go see my pops, um, and which endeared you even more to me. You know, uh, a man who realizes the value of his of his parents. Um, the, you know, that's that's everything. Um, a lot of people, uh, of course, have seen uh, the movie um, about your portion of your life and stuff. Yeah. My question, though, is kind of related to that. When you're a young artist, um, and in, particularly in the case of you guys. You know, you're definitely not adhering to the norms of like, well, I, I you know, I, I do this, I do this, I do everything right. I abide by what my parents say. Did you have a tight relationship with your parents when you started breaking? Yeah. You know, I've always had a good relationship with my parents. Um, you know, I always appreciated my pops for for staying and sticking there and being there for me. You know, a lot of, a lot of dudes, uh, fathers, you know, felt it easier to, or, you know, they couldn't for whatever reason, stay in a relationship, but my father stayed there. He was a big influence. So, you know, it was always love and positivity, you know, uh, when it came to me and my family. Um, when I started doing music, um, they was happy for me, you know, they was they was happy that it was something positive. Um, you know, I began playing football and shit. So they was happy anything that was keeping me out the streets. So when I started doing music, you know, the music is hardcore and shit. So my mom's was like, you know, her church, her church friends and shit was was showing her the kind of records I was doing. Right. So uh she, you know, she asked me, you know, why you gotta why you gotta be the one <laughs> to do all the cussing on the records? You know, why you can't make clean raps? I said I said, I'm, I got some clean raps, but I said, don't nobody wanna hear that. You know what I mean? They wanna hear they wanna hear what's real. Right. And she would be on me about those records, you know what I'm saying, until I showed her, you know, the little money I was making at the time. And then, you know, I was bringing home gold records and hanging them up in her house and things like that. So they was just straight proud of me, you know. Like, I'm not in the streets. I ain't tripping, but I am... um, you know, doing something that's getting recognition and positivity and putting plaques on her wall and giving her a little change. And so the church ladies seemed to shut the hell up after they saw that. <laughs> it was a positive thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I had a little bit of that when I made uh, Clerks. My mom was like, you know, the first her review of the movie to me was you spent twenty seven thousand dollars on this piece of garbage. And I was like, thanks, mom. Very Carol Brady of you. The moment <laughs> my mom was interviewed by Entertainment Tonight at like the yeah. premiere, you've never seen someone more proud. She's like, well, I could do without the language. Her big thing, because she was also very, very churchy. Her big thing was like, everybody's going to think that I taught you this language. 
I, I was like, that'll make that'll make you look cool amongst my friends, mom. Um, no. What was it like and what does it continue to be like? But going back to when you guys broke, what was it like to be the voice of a generation? Um, well, I mean, it's it's incredible to be heard. It's incredible. You know, I never looked at us as the voice of a generation. I looked at us as doing what we do. Um, what's the trip is we had, uh, we had just kind of, you know, swallowed the fact that we was just going to be neighborhood hood stars. We was going to be hood stars. We wasn't going to be, you know, run DMC. We wasn't going to be, uh, EPMD and, you know, just the big groups. So as soon as we kind of, you know, kind of just kind of like sunk in, let that sink in and, and and just absorb that, that's when everything blew up and it just started taking off. So um, always was proud that I was on the same stage with LL Cool J. I was on the same stage with Slick Rick, Public Enemy. Um that that to me was the accomplishment. I never looked at it like, oh damn, we the voice of a generation. Mm. I always felt like we we doing what we supposed to do. We showing the world what the West Coast is all about, you know, along with Ice T, um, you know. But it was other groups. It was King T. It was Compton's Most Wanted. Um, it was a few other groups. Uh, DJ Quick, you know. So. We were just, to me, like spearheading the movement, um, going behind what Ice T had. You know, Ice T had laid, the, you know, some some foundation for us that we can kind of slide in on. So, you know, I just felt like we was doing our part. You know, what I mean, uh, it's not till afterwards I look back and then see that, yeah, we was speaking for a lot of people who couldn't or or just wasn't going to come from this angle was the was were they the the way in for you was ice t the way in because like I, you and i are roughly the same age and and i'm 50 you're 50 right same thing yeah. um when and i was uh of course nowhere near the west coast and growing up in the fucking suburbs of new jersey but i was a massive rap fan so the we must have been into like roughly the same things around the same time. I remember when Public Enemy first broke. Prior to that, of course, like it was just all Run DMC for me. They were they were the the top. But then there were bands like Stetsasonic, Audio yeah. Two. Did you listen to yeah. them as well? Yeah, you know I've been on tour with them too as well. You know, so it's cool. Um, yeah, we was we was fans of all the East Coast groups. Like they were they were pros to us. And we were like locals. We considered ourselves locals, you know, we weren't known um nationwide, worldwide. So, you know, those were what we were aspiring to be. Um but Ice T did kick the door in. He he worked with a lot of groups in New York. He was friends with you know, KRS-One, uh, Zulu Nation, um, 
him and Africa Islam, um, which I think Africa Islam is from New Jersey. Uh, so, you know, or New York, I don't want to get it wrong and shit. I don't know. It might be from one of those boroughs. But, but at the end of the day, Ice-T was, he was going on a dope jam tour. So he was actually touring and, and, and taking West Coast hip hop nationwide and kind of you know softening the 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 uh the people up for for the for nwa you know i think without ice t um nwa would have would have took a little longer to break yeah for sure i remember when uh his was the first taste of like west coast rap that i'd had and i remember when that i was a cassette guy um so i remember when that I was a tape guy. Um, I remember when that set came out, uh, bought it and listened to it. And his his that his lyrics were they had taken it up a notch. Um, Boogie Down Productions, KRS One, Scott LaRock, they were the first like like rappers that I remember were very specific about like uh, my nine and and guns and stuff like yeah. that. Up until that point, it was just, you know, it was everyone throw your hands in the air, wave them like you just don't care. Or me and Chris. Easy would play, Easy E would play criminal minded all day long. I'm going to embarrass myself by by, uh, doing uh, Boogie Down Productions. We'll always get paid. The take the wackest songs songs and make them better. (laughs) Remember. To let us us into your skin, because then you'll begin begin to master master rhyming, 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 criminal-minded. You've been blinded. Oh, my God. He he was, I think, my first favorite lyricist, KRS-One, because it was so based in language. Everything was, like, rich language. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Run DMC, but... You know, me and Chris Rock would always like Chris Rock's also a big Run DMC fan. So when we started working together, like Run DMC was something we bonded over. And you know, Chris, I think was the first one to be like, "Look, they're amazing, but let's be honest." Like you know, uh, he's like, "The next thing you know, you'll have a big car." Is not the most <laughs> winning lyric in rap history. He goes, "Does does yeah. the job for at the time," but he's like, you know, lyrics got much better after that. Um, KRS-One's lyrics just like changed my world in terms of like, oh, well, it's the game. Yeah. Did he it really? Showed, yeah. I mean, he showed that you, you, uh, one MC can have a hundred styles. You know, it wasn't about, you know, finding your cadence and just rocking your style and that's it. That's it. He showed that you can have many different styles on a, you know, and, and so it it opened it up. It opened up uh, your imaginations of how many different cadences you can master, you know, and and still rhyme on time. And you know, so Karis One was a big influence. You know, um, you know, it's like uh, it, I just think you know up until shit probably man i don't know when karis one wasn't an influence you know what i'm saying i mean you even talked about you know the blueprint album you yes. know what i'm saying 
I mean, he, he's the day got some, begins with a grin and a prayer yeah. to excuse my sins. Yes, some crazy, crazy work, and I you think, know, I've seen him rock a show. You know, Karis one like I've seen him stand at the front of a stage like a real MC and just rock the crowd, and that's always been impressive to me. You know, what I mean, he's a he's a real. Um, when. First time you got to share a stage with somebody who was you were a big fan of you 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 know somebody who, I can't believe we're here what who was it man it was a uh, heavy D and the boys it was Salt and Pepper UTFO yeah we had a show with him in San Diego guess who else was on that show who MC Hammer and uh, Too Short. First time we met, too short, and MC Hammer. Get out of here. Yeah, uh, down in San Diego. And, uh, you know, I, we have been doing local shows in L.A. And here, you know, this tour was going through San Diego. Uh, UTFO tour was going through San Diego. And it had uh, Salt and Pepper on the show, Heavy D and the Boys. And, uh, and then we, you know, we was opening up, too. So wait, you guys, you guys opened for them. Yeah, we opened for them. And did yeah. you open with the first album? I don't even think we had the first album out. We just had dope ass singles out. You know, like right. Easy had. I think Easy album was out. Easy does it was probably out, but but we had like Dope Man out, Gangster Gangster, A Ball. So we had singles that were. You know, enough for us to do twenty-five minute, thirty minute show. What and, a, um, was it a tone shift for that audience from you guys to then like now salt and pepper, heavy D and the boys? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> but Tupac was on there too with his little dirty mouth. So <laughs> between us and Too Short, I I think we balanced everything out. But uh I know the East Coast groups was really tripping on us, you know. Um, they was just, you know, I remember Heavy D's just saying, damn, man, how y'all get away with that? How y'all get away with that? And, uh, you know, we didn't know no better. We was like, man, this this, this what got us on the fucking road. If we were still doing, you know, regular raps and shit, we probably wouldn't be here. So we're going to stick with it. Did you... um? Did when did did when you guys were like we're gonna push the line we're gonna this is what we're gonna rap about um, it, clearly it's gonna upset some people is there any fear behind it or you're just like no or was there ever a moment where you're like maybe we shouldn't go as far as we do no nah, no nah, it ain't no fear behind it because we had already started it mm. we were doing mixtapes just for the swap meet out here, uh, rhodium swap meet. Um, so we was just doing hardcore cussing and shit on the mixtapes because we felt like it wasn't going on the radio. Right. And we could talk about the neighborhood because we wasn't trying to sell records in, you know, Philly. You know what I'm saying? We just talking about the neighborhood. So let's keep it about the shit that's going on around here. Um, so those got popular. Those got real popular. As a matter of fact, Easy had a tape when he 
reconnected with Dre. Him and Dre knew each other in high school, but they reconnected once Easy started hearing these tapes on the street. Like, who's doing this? It's Dr. Dre, and they pr- he probably didn't know who I was at the time. So um, he started coming around. You know, this is like 84, 85. He started coming around us. And um, he wanted to be a manager. He wanted to get out the dope game. And so he he wanted to manage this group. We, it was this group out of New York. He thought, I'm in L.A., but I know these kids from New York. I need to work with them so we can actually be famous and shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> so there was, wasn't no real, like, big L.A. rappers at the time. You know what I'm saying? Just... I mean, Ice-T was on his way, but everybody was still finding our way. So um, I wrote a song for him, um, and they turned the shit down. You see it in a movie called Boys in the Hood. And and, uh, Drake convinced Easy to do it, and the rest is history. But So we was like, you know, Easy let us do those kind of records where, you know, we was with this dude named Lonzo, who was, was a cool dude, but... He was more into slacks and hard shoes and, you know, he was into the barcades and shit and right. into, you know, confunction and these bands, these funk bands and shit. And he wasn't really into rap. You know, the first thing he said was like, who the fuck want to hear about somebody going to jail? You know what I mean? That's what he used to clown this bitch. Like, nobody want to hear nobody rapping about going to fucking jail. And he's like, this will never catch on. You know what I'm saying? So It's so funny like, easy, to think easy about. Was it's so funny to think about now that somebody was like, you like lyrics that people could relate to. Uh, why do you think that would work? Like there was a whole audience not being spoken to who could then yeah. hear their lives reflected in, in your work. That's that's groundbreaking. Um, yeah, it was, it was good shit at the end of the day. I mean, we didn't think we was going to go too far because it was so much cussing on it. So we felt like our records was going to be, they used to put Eddie Murphy, Rich Pryor, uh, Red Fox records in these sections called the Blue Section. And we thought our records were going to be with the Dolomite records and shit. <laughs> like in that Blue Section. We didn't think it would ever make it to the regular you know, front of the store rack. And um, shit, it did. Quick. Yes, fast. Um, What, when did, you mentioned Boys in the Hood before, when did acting come into it? Because did you act in high school or anything or no? No, no, I never even thought about acting. Um, Who, was it John Singleton who approached you or what? John Singleton is the first one to come at me about it. He said, look, man, I got a movie you, you'll be perfect for. And I said, what's your movie called? He said, Boys in the Hood. I said, hey, man, that's what, <laughs> what, what you talking about. Yeah. My lawyer yeah, will man. be contacting you. He said, he said, no, it was inspired by what y'all did, but it's a story about the neighborhood. I, I, I wasn't half listening to him. You know, I was just at the time trying to be the greatest rapper in the world. And that was like laser focus. So. He pursued me for about two years and finally, you know, he, a script came to my my manager and I had forgot about John. I forgot all about him until I walked in and saw him sitting there and I'm like, 
this got something to do with you. He said, yeah, remember me? I'm like, yeah, I remember you, man. And then, you know, he just helped me become an actor, you know, straight up. He helped me, you know, through the process between him, Cuba Gooden Jr., Lawrence Fishburne. You know, they really helped me <coughs> stay on my feet and not, you know, fucking fall flat on my face. You know what I'm saying? Um, it, 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 like... It reminds me of um, I like I put Jay and stuff because I'm like oh my god like I'm gonna write a part around this person. Um, it sounds like John did the same thing in your case. Did you find like did you have to act or was it close to your persona? Well, I mean, I, I, it was close to my persona. But to be honest, I could have played all any three of those characters. Like, yeah, especially with the football and stuff. I, yeah, I grew up with these dudes. You know what I'm saying? It was like dudes from my neighborhood, clearly. Like, so, um, you know, I could have did any part. So it was, uh, it was great, man. You know, just to have a movie. I remember reading the script, and uh, and I had my wife read it, and after she finished reading it, you know, we was both blown away. I only got ten percent on my goddamn battery. <laughs> we was both blown away. I might have to plug up so well. We was blown away, and um, I was like, "Damn, how we grew up is worth a movie. Is movie worthy?" You know, as a guy was, who was singing about how they grew up, like, yeah. I mean, I didn't. I thought it was, you know, I thought we could make raps about the shit, but like a movie. Uh, so, you know, what I mean, that was kind of cool. I'm gonna have to move you, man. I'm gonna have to move. No worries. Gotta plug up over here and shit. So, <laughs> happy to do it. The um, I remember when that movie came out. Like, of course, John's story as the film uh, filmmaker who came from film school. Like, you know, mm -hmm. said to an agent, like all the movies you guys make are bullshit. You need to make something real and, you know, like put his money where his mouth was and, and wound up making a uh, boys in the hood. So naturally, you know, that was one of those stories that as a young filmmaker, you're like, yeah, yeah, everything's possible. Anything's possible. But that movie was massive tapped into the zeitgeist was talked about everywhere. And it's also a really wonderful and watchable movie. Um, like at, yeah. at, at that point, what was, because you worked with John later on in higher learning and, and probably other things, right? How many times you worked with John? I, I just worked on, on higher learning. Just those two? Yeah. We were supposed to do poetic justice. I was supposed to do poetic justice. But I'm glad Tupac took that role. Um, you know, I, I just didn't feel right about the role. So I'm glad Tupac took it. Is that, um, did you really like? There was a moment where you're, he was presented it to you, and you were like, "I don't." Yeah, I don't he wrote I'm... it for me. Really, he wrote it for me. Yeah, yeah, and um, we just couldn't agree on a certain part of the script. Um, I just didn't like the fact that, uh, you know, don't get me wrong, Janet Jackson is fine as hell, but I wouldn't throw out my homeboy for on the side of the road. <laughs> Before we got to Oakley, you dig? Right. You know what I mean? I don't care if we did get into it. So I just felt like, 
I don't want to play a character that kicks his homeboy out for a girl he just met. Fair enough. And he didn't want to change the part, so I said, give it to Pop. Mm-hmm. What uh, What was he like? Because you worked with him as uh, as the young director, the guy who, who kind of broke on the scene. Was, was there confidence? In- commanding. Really? He was always commanding. Yeah. He was always commanding, man. You know, he... Uh, Turn this shit on, get a little more light. Yeah, he was a. Uh, it was a trip just to see him take control over the set. You know what I'm saying? It was just a trip to see him take control. Because was he because of his age? Yeah, you know I seen. You know I had done. I had been on video shoots, but you know to see somebody that young. This is my first film set. So, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it's people there older than him. I know they've been in the business longer than him. And but he was the man. And and uh I appreciated watching him do that. You know, I learned a lot from him when it was time for me to do my movies. Um to to know what you want. Um, and fight for what you want. Um, and, you know, don't let too many people, you know, it's like it can't be a director by committee. You can listen to everybody, but at the end of the day, you got to be the one directing that bitch. Now, or, you know, or let the director do a stare. This episode is sponsored by the good folks at Blue Chew. Guys, it's been a hell of a year, man. Personally, I feel like I've aged 12 years over the last 12 months. And if you're like me, you're feeling your age more than you used to, especially in the boudoir, man, the bedroom. It's time to snap out of it, kids. Spring is here. It's time to get sprung with Blue Chew, man. Blue Chew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form. And at a fraction of the cost, Blue Chew's tablets help men achieve harder, stronger erections to combat all forms of ED and erectile dysfunction. Blue Chew is an online prescription service, man. So no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, and no waiting in line at the pharmacy. And it ships right to your door in a discreet package, man, just like what you got in your jeans. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, man. Blue Chew's licensed medical providers work with you to find the right ingredient and the strength for your prescription. Don't like swallowing pills? No problems here, man. Blue Chew's Sildenafil and Tadalafil tablets are chewable. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA, and they prepare and ship direct, so it's cheaper than a pharmacy, man. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code SMOD, S-M-O-D, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code SMOD to receive your first month free. And we thank Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Now, uh, you mentioned it before, you eventually went off and did your thing. In a world where you didn't think, you know, the albums would go to the front of the store, let alone the top of the charts let alone into leg- legendary, iconic, legacy p- 
position in the world of music. You didn't see yourself becoming an actor, but then it happened. When did you start? Was it while you were acting in other people's movies? Is that when you were like, you know, I can do this as well? When did you get the idea for Friday? Uh, shit, from John Singleton. You know, I was with him at his house. He had just bought a, a, a new house in Baldwin Hills. And I went over there to see him. I would go over there and watch movies. You know, he would he would put me through film school and shit. Like, we would watch and see what's good movies, what's bad movies. He showed me shit like a, a Clockwork Orange and, uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick. Um 2001 Space Odyssey and shit like that. He would like, you know, just show me what was a good movie versus a bad movie and why. And then one day, uh, I just popped over and he looked at me one day and he was like, man, when you gonna write a script? I was like, damn, John. I'm, I'm just now trying to learn how to act, man. You know, let alone write a fucking script. He was like, man, I don't want to hear that shit. He said, if you can write them kind of records, I know you can write a script. That day, I left his house. Me and Ken, we went down to, it was a fucking Mac store on, like, in Century City, right there on, like, Santa Monica or some shit. We went right there. I bought a Mac computer. I bought Final Draft. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just went home and I just started writing a script. It was bullshit. Don't get you. (laughs) Um, But he helped me through this clunky way of writing, you know, with no note, just kind of just off the dumb. I didn't know. I don't really know how to do it. So he worked with me and, um, the script was readable. It wasn't great, but it was readable. How cl- was it Friday? And I got the bug. Was, mm-hmm. was that script Friday or no? No, no. It was a script called "America Eats Its Young." Where and is it? Where is it? It's uh, it's probably somewhere buried on one of my laptops around here somewhere. Do you ever want? Um, do you ever want to revisit it as the first thing that you wrote? No, it's garbage. It's not good. <laughs> Not good, I know. Then I wrote a script called uh, Defense with a guy named Floyd Metrix. And um, he he's a guy who wrote some of the first Cheech and Chong movies. And, um, the, you know, I learned the process a little better working with a bona fide writer, you know. John is a is a is a writer director, so he's right. writing to direct. This guy writes just right, you know, knowing Get that it's going to be handed off to somebody else. Yeah, yeah. So he, I learned the process, you know, by writing that second script, and then the third script I wrote was Friday with me and DJ Pooh. You know, we was uh, we was fans of the Cheech Chong movies, fans of. Hollywood Shuffle. I love brilliant Hollywood movie. Shuffle. Nobody ever talks about it. Robert Townsend's movie, man. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. Robert Townsend. Winky Dinky. Brilliant, oh. brilliant movie. He was one of the people responsible for event me eventually doing what I do because I remember hearing him 
interviewed by Howard Stern when I was still like working <clears throat> at the convenience store. Well, that might have been when I was still in high school because I have this vague memory of me being in the parking lot of the school. But it was him talking about putting credit his movie on credit cards. Yeah. Now, that was the first time I'd ever heard that notion. I was like, what? And I was young, I, and it was years before I would ever make a movie. But I was like, that's possible? You could do that sort of thing? And it went and stored in the memory banks so that years later when I was like, oh my, I'm going to try to make a movie. I'm going to put it on credit cards. I pulled directly from that DNA because I knew it had successfully been done before. And I love that movie. That movie's hysterical. I mean, Robert Townsend, you wouldn't have Friday without Robert Townsend. Is that right? Now, yeah, because of the inspiration. You know, his inspiration and doing Hollywood Shuffle the way he did it and how good it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I plucked John Witherspoon from seeing... You know, he used to do he used to do these HBO comedy specials too. You know, I think called the yeah, Undercover Brother. You know, it was like some kind of uh Robert Townsend's, you know, uh yeah, criminal. Yeah, it was I, like I a, memories of that, the cover yeah, of the box, the VHS box. Yeah, you know, you would have Patrice Russian and shit coming out doing the music. And uh so you know, him doing that kind of stuff, uh, Keenan doing In Living Color, like all these inspired me and me and uh, me and Pooh to write Friday. Also, like Boys in the Hood, Minister Society, South Central, Colors, like everybody thought living how we grew up was just pure hell. Right. Like it was no... <laughs> It was like no fun. So me and Pooh was like, man, wait a minute. We had fun growing up. Let's let's show how we would envision this kind of shit going down in our neighborhood, you know? Um, so that was a big draw too to show South Central wasn't all bullets and war zone, even though it is fucking drive-by shootings and Friday, but it was a uh, the tone of having fun through all the <laughs> chaos and not, you know, it, it could have been a heavy drama, you know, Friday could have actually been a heavy fucking drama. You got, you know, the neighborhood dope dealer want to kill us and shit, you know what I'm saying? Um, but we, we, we wanted to flip that. And um, we actually was like, this shit gotta be hood, but it gotta feel like home alone. It gotta, it got to have that fun, bright, I want to be there feel, you know, um, not drip, drab, I'm ready to run out the fucking theater, you know what I'm right. saying? It's a wonderful, uh, hysterical flick. Where where did <laughs> Chris Tucker come into it? Um, It's a trip because... Uh, nobody wanted Chris Tucker in the movie. <laughs> uh, really? Really. What What year is this? Pooh was supposed to play Smokey. Pooh. DJ Pooh was supposed to play So you guys Smokey. wrote it together. We wrote and you it, yeah. Apart. Yes. Uh, New Line, when New Line acquired the script, they... They said, well, you know, that's a lot of dialogue for somebody we we don't even know. You, you know, Pooh never acted before. 
You know, he was never, he had did it, a few of my videos, but that was it. So they pushed real hard on you got to find a co-star. You know, they was actually talking about, you know, Tommy Davidson and people like that. Uh, who, you know, he was hot at the time. Um, I said, no, I want an unknown. I want, I don't, I don't want you to know who this person is, really, because I want him to be smoky when you see him, fucking smoky, nobody else. You know what I'm saying? So I didn't want none of the known comedians that was already hot. But I had seen Chris Tucker on Def Comedy Jam, and then they put him in House Party 3, but they gave him, like... Tiny part. <laughs> I said, oh, they fucked up. <laughs> that kid right there is a star. So <laughs> I pushed him on the studio, made him fly him out, get an audition. F. Gary Gray was even like, man, why? who is this kid? I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I said, let us just audition together. Because the shit I seen him do on TV, if he could do that here, it's a wrap. And once we got down together, they saw the chemistry. They saw, I mean, everything he said was funny. And that's how he got the part. Um, you know, I fought for him to get it. Because I, I, I knew, you know, I just knew that this is the kind of kid that I want to play next to him because he reminded me of a, some of the dudes in our neighborhood that was crazy, you know. Yeah. What? So, first produced screenplay, third screenplay written, first produced screenplay, and produces a like a instant classic with phraseology that enters into the pop culture lexicon and beyond the pop culture lexicon. The lexicon. There are people that say "bye, Felicia," don't even know why they say it. Yeah, without a doubt. I, I got to give credit to Pat Charbonnet too. If you look at the credits. You'll see Pat Charbonnet. Mm -hmm. She was my manager at the time. And she was the one who really, you know, the script was, you know, <laughs> very pregnant. Right. <laughs> she, <clears throat> she helped us get it into shape, um, helped us find the financing um, with New Line. Uh, and help produce the movie, you know. So, you know, she's an unsung hero in this Friday. Um, you know, I guess uh, call it legacy or classic movie. You know, so without her, you don't get you don't get the movie as tight as it is. Are you going back in? Is there another Friday in our future? Well, I'm actually trying to get the movie out of Warner Brothers. Is that what I saw? I saw something. Uh, it popped up in my yeah. feed. So what? what's the idea? They fucking around. You know, and this new line, it's Toby Emmerich over there. Well, he runs Warner Brothers now, but it was it's a new line. Fucking, uh, you know, me and new line own it together. Mm-hmm. Of course, they got the rights to put this fucking shit out. So, <clears throat> the end of the day, I wrote two crazy scripts, like for the last Friday. 
one they they just wouldn't do. Um, you know, it was before cannabis was legal. Right. So it was about uh it was about <clears throat> it was right in that era where it was state, but the feds were still fucking with the dispensary, so Smokey and and uh not Smokey, but Craig and Day they had a dispensary and shit. And the motherfucker got <clears throat> they had a flash mob in there, stole all the shit, <clears throat> and you know, we end up fucking up some kids and they're going to jail. <coughs> in jail, we see all the motherfuckers that we put there, from the Joker brothers to Debo to Damon. <laughs> and our whole thing is was trying to survive in fucking jail with these motherfuckers like locked in with us. Then we sent to a rehab. The rehab, you know, I had Smokey running the rehab. And, got <laughs> and it's a fucking scam. It's bullshit. You know, they was back there smoking all the dope they find on people. <laughs> so, you know, it was, uh, it was to me, great for the time. And then motherfuckers was like, well, this, this is before, like, any of these shows that come, came after this. But, yeah, they spending too much time in jail. Nobody, you know, jail's not really funny. You know, know, all this bullshit. Then after that, all these fucking shows come out like, let's go to jail. Orange is the new black. All this bullshit come out. I'm like, you motherfuckers. See, (laughs) I was ahead of the curve. You were, finger on the pulse. Slow me down. So that was the first fuck up. So I wrote a whole nother script. That was perfect. I mean... And for whatever reason, they was like, well, uh, the love story part, I don't really understand. I'm like, you don't understand? What the fuck? What are you worried about the love story part? That shit is minute in this whole story. It's so small. What are you holding up a whole fucking franchise for dialogue, basically? You know what I'm saying? So it was all bullshit. <coughs> just Paul, you know, stall, stall, stall. Then John Witherspoon passes away. Hmm. Rest in peace. And then Tiny passes away. So I want the fucking movie back. You know, I just want my shit back. And I can go make my movie. They just don't know what the fuck they doing. And it and this is the same studio that wouldn't do straight out of Compton. They let you they get they turned it over to Universal because they thought it was just a rap movie. Right. And they wouldn't do Ride Along because they didn't think me and Kevin Hart could do a hit movie together. So they had Ride Along for fucking ten years. Are you kidding? They let Universal have that one. So <clears throat> fuck. They don't know what the fuck they doing. What are your, <clears throat> what are your, <clears throat> sorry. What are your chances of getting it out? Great shit. You know, um, I mean, especially if they're not going to move forward with it. Like, number one. I don't one, know why they holding it. Number one. I, you know, they just. Let's just go back. They holding let's, the- let's go back to the fact that the first script you wrote just should have been greenlit predicated on how much money you've previously made 
the studio with the other Fridays. So yeah. right then and there, like you walk in with a script, you know, it, it, as long as it's, it's, uh, I mean, it really like this is a sequel to fucking Friday. <coughs> there should be no boundaries. And as the creator of the material, it's like, if you're like, it's in jail, then they should have just been like, Great. they wanted to tell me what needs to be in a Friday movie. That's, and how did that feel? I mean, how nuts is that? It don't make crazy man sense. <laughs> um, they, it seems silly <clears throat> because it, it feels like they're just leaving money on the table. They are. And, and so hopefully, um, they either come to their senses and be like, just go here, go. Or they're like, you know what? Take it. God bless. But it doesn't, it's not a good look to hold on to it and not do something. No, man. You know, they, I said, they holding the happiness of the culture hostage. <laughs> That's a good line. That's good. Well, and they are, boy, you're good with, you're good with the words, man. You should uh, write lyrics or something like that. Um, one day, one day. <laughs> one day. That is, uh, that's frustrating, but I hope to God it works out for you. But I'll tell you this much. I'm going to like, it's not, I wouldn't call it schadenfreude or whatever, but like, it makes me like at my level, which is way below your level. It makes me go like, Jesus, it's hard up there. Like, I would just assume you walk in and you're like, it, it has, it, it's, it doesn't even, it's, you don't even get day out. You're like fry. And they're like, here's the fucking money. Go, go, go. Cause you could just keep doing it. Like, you know, as long as people were interested, particularly the creators and, and the original cast. So what's fucked up baffled Kevin, me. is they begged me to write these things and then don't make them and then don't fucking make them. So I don't know what, I don't know what it is. You know, it, it just seemed it's very odd, strange. Can't put my finger on it. Um, you know, you know, at the end of the day, they just fucking with me. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, they bugged the shit out of us for me to write these things. I wrote two scripts and they sat on their hands for no reason. Time so I'm going to back. Time yeah. to go. Time to go, for heaven's sakes. I wouldn't do a movie with them motherfuckers for nothing in the world. And you, uh, you have been, this is Warner Brothers? Because New Line Warner is Brothers. owned by Warner Brothers. And you Warner had, Brothers. And you had been in Warner Brothers stuff. Three Kings was a Warner Brothers movie, right? Yeah, I've been in a few of their movies. I mean... That... A, a few of their movies. You know, it's like, I don't understand, you know, what they're thinking. But it's not working for me. Um, can I ask you a off-topic question just because it came up and I was like, oh, shit. And I'm just stoned enough to ask. On Three Kings, there was that story that George Clooney punched the director. Were you there? It was no punches thrown. There were no punches thrown. No. But you, so it you were just intense, head to head. I'm about to fuck you up, kind of. That kind of energy, like let's go, let's go. Yeah. But nobody yeah. actually threw. Nobody threw a punch. Um, had you ever seen that sort of intensity on a movie before? Um, nah, not between the director and the actor. That would have that that scared me off forever. I would have been like, oh, I never want to see that. That ain't shit, man. Man, I done seen crazier shit than that. Is that right? That was in 
entertaining. That was what? Entertaining. <laughs> entertaining. You've seen like like directors and actors like really get into it or No, I just seen people get into it, you know, at shit at events. Oh, like you in know? real life, not on a movie Yeah, set. in real life. So That's true. <laughs> can somebody get into it on the set ain't going to do nothing for me. You know what I'm saying? As long as they keep that shit over there. <laughs> totally. Um, I hope you get it back. I, I it, Again, it just makes no sense for them to let a, an asset that they know will print money. It's not even like, man, I don't know if we want to take a risk on this Friday picture. It's like they know it's going to make money no matter what it is. But, you know. The, if the creator of the material says this is what it is, just go. Take the journey. Like, you know. John, John Witherspoon died uh, waiting the... on this movie, uh, hoping, dreaming, wishing to do this movie. Uh, not only him, you know, you got all the comedians. When they do a Friday movie, it gives them a bump for five, six years, man. You no know, doubt, um, no so. It's just, it's sad for these people to just sit on this material and uh, let great, you know, stars that we love pass away. Tiny Lister passed away. You know, it's about seven, seven people from the Friday franchises that that's no longer with us. So to me, it's just, uh, you know, it's almost time to take this shit to court. Um, yeah, do it. Get yours. Get it back, for heaven's sakes. Those are your characters, man. Think about man, it's culture. And that's uh, and but also like uh, the it, you're right. The heartbreaking aspect is like we won't get John Witherspoon because somebody yeah. somebody dilly dallied because somebody was like, well, this ain't Friday to the guy who made Friday. <laughs> man, crazy. That's what's that's what's uh, crazy that. If you saw a picture of these dudes that's holding up the movie. <laughs> I know what they look like. Yeah, man. Um, speaking of uh, Friday, because I know I can't keep you forever. It ties into uh, uh, Good Day uh, in as much yeah. as, uh, uh, you know, uh, of course, our, our heroes in Friday are preoccupied with weed. I mean, this Good Day. Oh, look at that shit. I had a, they, uh, you know, since I mentioned earlier, we share a. Uh, connection in caviar mike i got a box of that yeah. shit early and oh my god isn't it isn't it great you do what it's supposed to do right yes it absolutely does how I got awesome that friday i got that friday kush too look at that shit what is that that's that friday kush man so i it's got a, the friday and the good day i didn't have the friday oh that was a good day but i'll have i'll have to get you a box i'll get it um i'll go down to herbarium and get it when did it come out? When did you street? Like last month? Uh I saw your know, I, I saw your billboard in Los Angeles. Yeah. I Man, I think we went out in February. Mm -hmm. I believe February. I think it was February. I don't lost track of time and shit. We have been COVID. Yes, we have been in a pandemic uh twilight zone. So what does it feel like to smoke your own weed? It feel great. I ain't so, got to roll this shit. Yes. Pre -roll. The beauty of the pre-roll. You know, we work. I mean, I'm pretty sure, you know, I, uh, my man Caviar, you know, he, he, uh, I'm pretty sure I got on his nerves and shit because 
you know, I kept sending me back to the drawing board and shit. You know what I'm saying? To live was it was perfect to my to my taste. And, you know, we we fucked around for about a year. Coming up with just, the strain. Just, yeah, getting it perfect, you know. Um and so I'm I'm more than happy with it. You know, everybody I give barely can finish. Yeah. You know, you can't finish a whole one. I know you can't. It is. You know what I'm uh, saying? So, it, yeah, they're pretty. They're they're pretty intense joints. The caviar joints. They're if you're a stoner, <clears throat> those are the joints that you smoke to get high, because yeah. you know normal flour will just you know give you keep you level. But caviar, the infused weed, is like it's it's just very intense. I I it's took it's level. Oh, uh, I took my mine on tour with me <clears throat> when we toured Jay and Silent Bob reboot and so i didn't i had it for four months straight um and wasn't able to mix it up with just plain flour and stuff so it's it's pretty heavy stuff um it's there's something called the caviar challenge where you know if you can smoke one of their joints all the way down in 15 minutes you win like a thousand bucks or something like that but yeah it ain't gonna happen (laughs) it's nearly impossible um, the, uh, the good day, I, the name, I thought it was good day because it reminded me of boys in the hood when you were like, that was a good day. Where'd you get the name from? Today was a good day. Yes. You know what I'm saying that's like, today was a good day is one of my biggest songs. You know what I'm saying? If I don't perform that shit, it'll be hell to pay. Concept, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I just felt like. You know, when you want to blaze and shit, you're trying to turn, just trying to turn it into a good day. So, you know, to me, it's just, it was perfect name for the perfect product. Um, I was waiting to put the name on something that was right. So, you know, good day and Friday, it just, uh, you know, I don't see, I don't think you could say that without seeing my face. So, <laughs> so you know, that's that's really what it's all about. You know what I mean? Making sure that it's a name people remember um, and people feel comfortable with. Know that uh, that I ain't just throwing no shit out there that, that is something that I'm really behind. So, you what, know, we just want to see it grow. What states can they get it in? Right now, just California? Right now, it's California, Nevada, Oklahoma, uh, damn! One more state. Um, Florida, Illinois. No, no, not not that far. This West Coast. It's uh, man, you Washington? know, I've been putting this shit too much. No, mm-hmm. no, I didn't watch too much smoking. Your yeah, own. yeah, 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 yeah. I've been hitting this too much. <laughs> um, but we in four states, and uh, it's been it's been doing great. Of course, it's been doing great. I mean, it's, it is like, again, they make impeccable weed, but like, you know, you branded it makes a big difference as well. We in New Mexico, I believe. That New is, Mexico. is it New Mexico? I believe so, yeah. Um, you, you've got, now you got like Christmas gifts galore, man. You know what everybody's getting for Christmas. They're all getting some yeah. Friday. They're all getting some, <laughs> some good day. There'll be nothing a, wrong with that. There'll be a Christmas Day strain. That's what everyone's getting. <laughs> yeah, we need a Christmas Day. <laughs> the yeah. uh, it's it's an insanely uh, wonderful, varied career you got, man. They they call people like you Renaissance 
men. Like, you know, it's you, you could have fucking just done one thing, which you did insanely well to break onto the scene in the first place, to introduce yourself uh, to the world. And then you just kept diversifying. You kept like going like, this seems interesting. This seems interesting. And followed a bunch of different paths, man, which, you know, as I'm sure you know, but for the audience at home, that gives somebody options. You know, like you can't be defined by one thing. Your definition is all the things that you do at this point. To some people, you'll always be a rap legend. To some people, you're a movie star. Um, and yeah. now to some fucking people, you're, you're this is the, oh, he's the dude on the weed I smoke. <laughs> yeah, without a doubt. You know, it's, uh, you know, what I don't want to be is a jack of all trades, master of none. Yeah, you know, I don't want to be that. You're pretty good at all of them, though, so, 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 so far. I mean, I won't do it unless I, I, I know I could do it well. Mm. You know, so um, I do take advantage of opportunities, but only if I could do it well. Because one, one thing I don't want to do is disrespect the game. And that's any game I get into. You know, I want to respect the game, do what I'm supposed to do, and work hard, and then the outcome should come out in my favor. But so that's really what it's all about is, you know, not just doing everything, but seeing what you can do, challenging yourself, learning the game, and then doing what it takes to to try to be the best. And so um, with that philosophy, I've been able to, to jump into a few different fields and um you know i feel blessed man because not everybody can do it listen kids you've just heard the secret you know everyone wants to know what's the secret ice cube just literally laid out the secret for you it's a treasure map follow literally what he said um and you'll be able to self-express um on some level maybe not to the level he's reached but hey you know it begins someplace like you heard the man say he didn't know they were going to be racked in the front of the store let alone he was going to be a screenwriter let alone he was going to be an actor let alone he was going to be a legend you directed already as well right yeah i directed a movie called the players club yeah yeah. i directed a couple of documentaries i directed this shit for 30 30 for 30 espn Mm. Um, you did one of those welcome yeah uh it was uh, straight out of L.A. I did straight out of L.A., which is talking about the the, the Raiders leaving L.A. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've done a, a few things when it comes to directing. It's really, you know, just about, you know, making sure you take advantage of your opportunities. Um, and... Follow your heart. Stay creative. You know, that's what I really want to say. Stay creative. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter if you get paid for it. Just be creative because good things happen when you create, when you're creative. And, and you also can get shit that's inside of you out. Sometimes putting it on a paper, writing it down in a poem, in a rhyme, in a whatever, drawing, painting, uh, sculpture. Uh, you know, just being creative opens opportunities on all kind of levels. So that's what we was doing, and look where it's gotten me. You know what I mean? Just being creative. Mm. 
You, can't, you ain't going to get better advice than that all year, kids. Uh, and you got it from the great Ice Cube, man. Uh, Ice Cube, thank you for taking the time. This was fun, man. It was a good time, man. And again, yeah. that weed is fantastic. Yo, man, we got to do this again. We will do it again. Uh, you know, you're going to have to hit me up with a couple of your boxes. I, I had a couple of your boxes I ran through. Yeah, I need some more. <laughs> I know the feeling. I've blazed through yours as yeah, well. Yeah, need some more. Um, that's it, kids. That's Modcast for this week. I'm Kevin Smith. Your boy Ice Cube. Um, have a week. This has been a Smodco Internet Production. Sip only at Smodcast.com.